Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Hey, there's still a little bit of winter left for you people in northern Illinois. Woohoo! Aren't you excited? Well, yeah, there's a whole lot of amen and I can tell, huh? Remember Pastor Andrew last week? He was telling us how much he hated winter and detests the cold and the ice and the snow. I, on the other hand, I love winter. I really do. I embrace it every year as a friend. I love how it coats my eyes with crystals in minus 17 degree weather. I go out and run in this stuff. It's invigorating. And no, that does not hurt your eyes, by the way. I I, I love making snow angels on frozen ponds. I'm just like a little kid out there in the snow. I just love it. I love the frozen waterfalls of Starve Rock. I took my wife there the other day on Valentine's Day, and we just went. This is Hennepin Canyon. It's incredible. You can only get to it when the, when the Illinois River is frozen or get to it from canoe. Nobody goes to this canyon. This is a picture of me behind the canyon. It's absolutely gorgeous is what it is. I love winter. I love how it freezes the Fox River. And, uh, and I'm able, I was out on a 20-mile run on the river three weeks ago. I went down River three, uh, 10 miles, and I came back 10 miles. And when you're out there, you see deer, you see the eagle. You get to chase geese. It's so much fun. You just get to run on the river, okay? I embrace winter just as much as I embrace spring or summer or fall. And we need to embrace every season, even the cold ones, even the difficult ones. Even when life is hard and the conditions are harsh and you feel like you're just going against the wind, To embrace it when your future is uncertain. And honestly, you don't know what you're going to do, and you don't know what's going to happen. And all of us have faced difficult seasons in life. For some of you joining here today, you're going through a difficult season of life. And we all go through them from time to time. And during those seasons when it's difficult, it's real easy for me to be very discouraged and very disheartened and pessimistic and cynical and angry or frustrated and the list goes on and on and on. And I want to encourage you today, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And that's the third message in our Stay Positive series. It's going to work out. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at some familiar passages or verses and, uh, and, and really, if you're older to the faith, they're like old friends that you go to from time to time and you, you look at them and you read them and they just encourage your soul. If you're new or newer to the faith, you've recently come to faith, I wanna introduce you this morning to some wonderful friends, new friends. And you're gonna enjoy their company so much that you're gonna find yourself going back to them for the rest of your life. The first uh, friend is found in the book of Philippians. So if you take your Bibles, you can turn to the first chapter in the book of Philippians. And God's word is gonna help us have a proper perspective in this often negative and cynical and pessimistic world. And because I need to know, and you need to know, it's gonna work out. And I know what some of you are thinking. You don't know, Pastor Scott, what I'm going through. You don't know what has happened to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know the mess I have made of my life and the mistakes that I've made and the regrets that I'm living with. Well, I may not, but I do know this. It's going to work out. And God wants you to know this. Know that he isn't finished with you. And that's the very first thing we're going to look at. See, listen. 
Others may be finished with you. They may have told you that. They may have shown you that. They're tired of you. They've given up on you. And you feel the pain of that. They've walked out on you. They've walked away from you. They've washed their hands of you. And for some of you, it was someone very close. Maybe even a parent or a child. Maybe it was a husband or a wife. Maybe it was a close friend. That's no longer close. Well, here's the truth of the matter. God isn't going to walk out on you. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want you to understand something very important. God will never leave you. He's not going to walk out on you. He's not going to wash his hands of you. He's not going to walk away from you. He is not going to give up on you. And the Apostle Paul writes these words to Christians who are struggling in life. They're, they're struggling with fear and worry and they're facing uncertainties and hardships. They're facing personal failures in their own lives. And as he tells them, he tells you and he tells me, I'm sure of this. He who started a good work in you is going to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he wants you certain. He wants you not doubting this whatsoever. He wants you 100% confident. That's why he says, I am sure of this. So no matter how bad it looks, it's going to work out. No matter how bad you've been hurt or disappointed in this life, it's going to work out. No matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how bad you've sinned, no matter how bad a mess you have made of your life and you're living in it right now, it's going to work out. And he says, Christian, I want you to go back to the start. I want you to go back to your salvation, verse 6. He who started a good work in you. He started this work in you, not you. He started this work in me, not me. He initiated the good work of salvation in saving your soul because he loves you. And if you're here today, God has started this. It's not by accident you're here today. If you've not come to know Jesus as your Savior, he is drawing you to himself. You're not here by mistake. He wants to save you from your sins. He can forgive you of every and any sin you've ever committed. He died on the cross for you. And he loves you. For you who are believers, he chose you. John 15, 16, he, I, you did not choose me, I chose you, said Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. God saved you. And he didn't save you to one day abandon you. And he didn't forgive you to one day forsake you. And he didn't start working in you to one day quit working in you. And as a matter of fact, God keeps working. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So be encouraged. He started this work. He's continuing this work. And verse 6 tells us he's going to complete the work. And this is God's promise to you. See, this is God's work. And he never calls off work. No matter how much snow is predicted by some lying weatherman, okay? He shows up every day. He works his plan every day. He accomplishes his goals every day. He never wastes a single day. See, listen, God is working in you, and that's happening right now. His word is going to work in you. His spirit is going to work in you. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be convicted. You're going to be encouraged. 
as you hear his word and as his spirit works. God is working in you today. He is working on you, as we saw earlier in Philippians 2.13. And he is working for you, as we saw last week in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? So he's working in you, and he's working on you, and he's working for you. And he brings everything to completion. What God starts, God finishes. Always. And not so much me. Not so much you. I'm sure there's no doubt many of us have unfinished projects at home. You started that bathroom remodel, it's not done. That sewing project, it's not done. That scrapbook you started, cleaning the garage, landscaping in your yard, remodeling something, that basement, you were going to finish, or you started to finish, it's still not finished. God never leaves his children unfinished, ever, ever. Some of the most famous authors, artists, and composers never finished projects. Do you realize Jane Austen? She never finished her novel, Sanditon. Da Vinci never finished his painting, Adoration of the Magi. Mozart never finished his composition, Requiem in D minor. Michelangelo never finished his painting, Entombment. God always finishes his masterpieces. And by the way, that's what you are. You're his masterpiece. You have been created in the image of God. And you are loved and adored by your creator, God. And you may say, well, I don't feel like much of a masterpiece. I'm missing pieces. I feel like more like a sketch or there's smudge marks all over me or I'm lacking color and vibrancy in life. You're not done yet. You're an ongoing work of art, work of grace, work of mercy, work of love. You're an ongoing work of God. That's who you are in the eyes of God. And we all have those days of deep disappointment in ourselves and, and deep regrets. And we look in the mirror of life and all we see is the mistakes we've made and all we see are the imperfections and you know what? Honestly, we feel like we should be wearing around this around our neck. Work in progress. Apologize for all the inconvenience caused. And, and our sins and our mistakes cause inconveniences in the lives of other people. And uh, it's basically saying, sorry for the mess that is me. And sorry for the dumb decisions I've made. Or as someone has said, when God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> Most comforting thing I've ever heard. So listen, the reality is this. Here's the reality. One day you're going to know perfection. And one day you're going to be complete. And one day you are going to be like Jesus. And that's God's goal for you and for me. Christ-likeness. To be like our Lord. See, I want you to understand something about God. Do you realize his priority is not to make you rich? His priority is not to make you successful, popular, famous, or well-liked. God's priority is not to have everyone like you or give you perfect health forever. Understand that. Do you understand what God's goal is for you? Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is God's priority for you, to be like Jesus. To speak as Jesus would speak and act as Jesus had acted and to look like Jesus looked in this life. That's what God is working on you in your life. One day you're going to be like him. As a matter of fact, 
1 John 3. Dear friends, we're all God's children now, and we will be, and, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So this has a purifying effect on my life and your life as we think of conformity to Christ and being like him. And that's the goal that will be fully realized, we're told in this verse, verse 6, on the day of Christ Jesus. What day is that? That's the day when your salvation will be completed. That's the day when you will stand in heaven, perfect, before the presence of your God, glorified, perfect. So one day, you're going to know perfection. One day, you will never sin again. Amen. And one day, you will be like Jesus, conformed to the image of Christ. So it's all going to work out. Know that God isn't finished with you yet. Secondly, understand God is working everything together for good. That's the meantime. What is God doing? He's working everything together for good. And now we turn to one of the most encouraging, all-encompassing promises in all of Scripture. And if you've known the Lord for any time, you know Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good to the, of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And so Christians in Rome were struggling just like Christians in Philippi were struggling. And these Christians in Rome, they didn't know how to pray and they didn't know what to pray and they didn't know what to do and they were anxious and they were fearful and they were frustrated and they were scared. And, and the same thing is true with us. Some of us just don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what's going to happen. And we're worried about it. And we're scared. We're afraid. We're frustrated. Even angry. Maybe you've made some mistakes. You have some regrets. And I want to encourage you. It's all going to work out. And again, absolute certainty is what we see. Remember Philippians 1.6? I'm sure of this. Now we see the absolute certainty in Romans chapter 8. We know. We know that. And so God doesn't want you living in limbo, flip-flopping back and forth, uncertain, double-minded, unsure what's going to happen and what am I going to do. And he wants you confident, believing, certain that it's going to work out, that there's no doubt about it. And by the way, there is no doubt about it. All you have to do, Christian, is look back in your life to those times when you were going through a very difficult time when you didn't think you could make your way out of this and you didn't understand what was happening and you don't know, or look where you are today. And as a matter of fact, some of you can't even remember those times. You know they were there, but you can't even remember them, which is another good reason for when you go through a very difficult time, journal it, type it up, write it down, write verses that you're claiming, things that you're praying, write your prayers out so that you can go back and see the faithfulness of your God. Because your God has been faithful to you in the past and it worked out and your God is going to be faithful to you right now. It's going to work out and your God will be faithful to you in the future when you go through a difficult season. It's going to work out. All things means all things. Look what he says in verse 28. We know that all things work together. So all things means God is in complete control. All things means all Things are in his sovereign hands. 
anonymous African-American spiritual, you know it, rose out of the oral tradition first published in 1927. The first line says this, he's got the whole world in his hands. Second line, he's got the wind and the rain in his hands. Third stanza, he's got the sun and the moon in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. My little bitty baby grandson was one year old yesterday. He's got you and me brother in his hands. He's got you and me sister in his hands. Turn to your brother or sister in Christ. You tell him that. He's got you brother in his hands or he's got you sister in his hands. You tell him that. And then you tell him he's got you. It's all going to work out. Tell him that. He's got you. It's all going to work out. And the last stanza, he's got everybody here in his hands. Do you know what that means? He's got your job in his hands. He's got your health in his hands. He's got your finances in his hands. He's got your marriage or divorce or separation in his hands. He's got your kids and your grandkids in his hands. He's got your schooling in his hands, his future. He's got politics and world powers in Russia and Ukraine and Canada. He's got everything in his hands. As a matter of fact, sing it with me. You ready? Stand up. Let's sing this together. Let's sway as we sing it. You ready? He's got the whole world in his hands. I want to see swaying. World in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo! You got nothing to worry about. Okay? It's all going to work out. And it says here... He works everything together. That's the Greek word where we get our word synergism from. So that means he takes all of these pieces and he works them together for a greater good. You may say, but I don't see how this can happen. How can God make anything out of the mess that I've made in my life? See, Pastor Scott, this is what my life looks like. It's nothing but tangles and knots. It's completely a mess. God can't do anything with that. The problem is you're not seeing the other side. The other side, child of God. The other side is God is weaving. And God is working your mess into a masterpiece. See, God is at work. He's the sovereign God who works it all together. And understand, you're his child, you're his lamb, you're his sheep. And he knows what he's doing. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know that name. She was a Christian from the Netherlands during World War II. Her family, Gentiles, were hiding Jews from the Nazis. They were caught. And they were shipped off to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp. Her dad would die within the first 10 days. Her sister would die on the, in the month that she would be released during the Holocaust. She would go on and have an incredible Christian testimony in, in America and Europe around the world. And she dearly loved a poem that was written by Grant Tuller in the 1900s and she would quote it often. It was called The Weaver, often referred to as The Tapestry. I want to read it to you. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing his truth condemn. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. 
He really does work all things together for good. See, he is sovereign. Ephesians 1, we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. And that's why, Christian, there's even no such thing as luck. Proverbs 16.33, the, the lot is cast or the dice are cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. See, God even sovereignly determines every step you and I take. Yes, we have free will, but God is in complete control. Proverbs 16.9, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. See, God is this master chess player. And, and he plays on an infinite and eternal number of moves way ahead because he is all-knowing and everywhere present and all-powerful and eternally existent. And he's the master chess player and all the pieces are in his hands, including your life and mine. He holds you in his hands. And all things he promises will work together for good. See, all you have to do is ask Joseph. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Genesis 37 through Genesis 50 is the story of Joseph. It's this incredible drama that plays out. And when he reveals himself to his brothers toward the end of that chapter, I, I, I get teary-eyed oftentimes. I just cry when he, when he first says, I am Joseph, your brother that you sold into slavery. And they cry and they hug each other. See, Joseph would say, it all works for good. When he was 17 years of age, it didn't look like that. He was thrown into a pit. His brothers wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He would be slandered and gossiped about and, and then thrown into prison for two years in Egypt. And he was forgotten there, left for dead, basically. His family thought he was dead. But God was weaving behind the scenes the story of Joseph's life with his mighty sovereign hands. And then by the age of 30, from 17 to 30, you see in Genesis 41, verse 46, where is Joseph? He is the ruler over the most mighty nation on the face of the planet, Egypt. Because God was at work. And God is sovereign. He would only be accountable to Pharaoh. No one else on this planet would be more powerful. And then in Genesis Verse 46, 30, at the age of 39, 22 years after being thrown in that pit, 22 years, he sees his dad for the first time who's come down to Egypt. The same dad who said, all these things are against me. No, they're not, Jacob. Some of you are like that. Everything's against me. Everything goes wrong. No, they're not. God is working everything together for good. It just takes time to see that tapestry. So be patient and keep trusting. God is at work and he knows what he's doing. And one day after the death of his father Jacob, Joseph would tell his brothers these words in Genesis chapter 50. You planned evil against me. Yeah, you wanted to kill me. Yeah, you sold me into slavery. You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. God allowed this suffering in my life for a greater purpose. God let me go through pain for a greater purpose. And God is doing the same thing in you. He lets us go through suffering. He lets us go through pain. And he tells his brothers to bring about this present result, the survival of many people, because it was a during a famine. Therefore, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you and your children. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. See, that's somebody that understands the sovereignty of God. 
They don't have to be all angry and all bitter and all upset. They can be kind. They can be generous. They can be gentle. You know what it is? As someone has pointed out, Joseph is basically telling his brothers, you need to have 50-20 vision. And that's Genesis 50-20. Whatever they meant for evil, God has meant it for good. And some of you need to hear that today because someone has done evil to you. And you need to start having 50-20 vision. They meant it for evil. God means it for good. Just be patient. All you got to do is ask Moses. It's going to work out. King Balak of Moab tried hiring Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. God's words to Moses in Deuteronomy 23. Yet the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam and he turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Listen carefully. The Lord your God loves you. You are his child. No matter what they've done to you, no matter what the curse is, God can take the curse and turn it into a blessing. Trust him to do that. It's all going to work out. Just ask Job. All 10 children tragically die the same day. All of his business, all of his income is wiped out in the same day. Body would be struck with sore boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, covered in sore boils, boils and pus and scraping himself and all the pain and all the dis- disgustingness. His friends would falsely accuse him and abandon him. His wife would tell him, curse God and die. You're not, you're not worth living anymore. Just get it over with. What's his response in Job 1? He stood up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he falls to the ground. And he worships the sovereign God who weaves everything for good. Naked I came from my mother's womb. I was born with nothing. Naked I'm going to leave this life. The same is true with you. The same is true with me. The Lord gives. The Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God for anything. Now, Job would struggle at times through that book, but he trusted in God. Because you flip over the tapestry of his life in the last chapter, Job chapter 42, and you read these words. After Job prayed for his friends, the same friends that had abandoned him and slandered him, he prayed for them. The Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. So the Lord blessed, verse 12, the last part of Job's life more than the first. He also had seven sons and three daughters. In verse 16, he lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to their fourth gener- to the fourth generation. And Job died bitter and angry and mad at the world and filled with self-pity. Nope. How did he die? Old and full of days. Because God was a sovereign God working all things together for good. Just ask the Apostle Paul. And by the way, his prayers didn't go answered. They were unanswered. And he pleads for deliverance before this all-powerful God who can do everything and say, and says, God, I'm in pain here. Take this thorn away, that's physical ailment or whatever it was. And we read in 2 Corinthians 12, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. If God is going to answer anybody's prayer, it would be the Apostle Paul's. And God says, I'm not going to answer your prayer. And you need to hear that, Christian. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers. Because he's got something greater in store. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. I'm not going to complain about my weaknesses. I'm not going to complain about these things that are going wrong in my life. I'm going to boast about them so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties for sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. It's all going to work out. 
even when your prayers go unanswered. God's sufficient grace is greater. And Paul can say, I'm going to say, thank you, God, for not answering my prayer. Thank you, God. Because you didn't answer it, I get to experience more of your power in my life. And I get to experience more of your strength in my life. And I get to experience more of your grace in my life. And so praise God when he doesn't answer your prayers. Because you get to experience more of his presence and power and strength and grace. See, it's all going to work out. By the way, just ask the Lord who hung on a cross, who died for your sins, who was beaten for you and tortured and mocked and spit upon. Innocent. He was sinless. Condemned to die for the guilty. Pierced with nails and punished for your sins and punished for my sins. Crucified and died. Oh, and it all worked out because he saved my soul and he saved your soul and he forgave you of your sins because of his sacrifice. And now you are a child of God and you have a place in heaven. And by the way, he didn't stay in that grave, amen? Amen. He rose in triumph and he's coming in glory to rule and reign. So it all works for good. But only but only for the people of God. Please get this. It says in verse 28, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is very important. You better make sure you just keep focusing on loving your God. And that's the best way to combat the negativity and cynicism and pessimism that you're feeling in your life. Start loving God and stop being so self-consumed. Start loving God and focusing on Him because it's all going to work out. See, if you don't love God, you're going to start resenting Him and resenting everything in this life and becoming more and more embittered and blaming God and blaming others because you are not focused on Him. You are focused on yourself. You've got to focus on loving your God. And then you'll overcome your cynicism. Because you're trusting in his sovereignty. And then you'll overcome all that negativity and all that pessimism because you keep loving him and you know he's in control. So love him. And as Mark 12 says, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And what does it mean to love God? Well, to love him also means to love people. The next part of that verse in Mark 12. Love your neighbor as yourself. Start loving people. Loving people that are not like you. Loving people that vote differently than you. Loving people that are a different color than you. Start loving God and loving people. And by the way, loving his people. That's what it means. 1 John 3. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Love the people in the church. Love the children of God. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 4. We have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. What does it mean to love God? It means to obey him. John 14, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Don't you dare tell me you love me when you have known sin in your life doing whatever you want. You don't love God, you love yourself. And that's the truth. Because a person who loves God is going to obey God. 1 John 5, 3. For this is what the love of God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. 
His commands are freeing. His commands are life-giving. Stop being selfish and doing what you want in this life and start really loving God and obeying him. And to love him means to love his return. 2 Timothy 4, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Lord Jesus, come back. Make this world right because I'm tired of this world. Lord Jesus, make it right. Rule and reign in righteousness. Love God. And not just love God, but recognize his calling on your life. Verse 28. Who are called according to his purpose. See, you are called to salvation. And John 6 tells us, this is why I told you that no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless it is granted to him by the Father. No one comes to, to salvation unless God first draws them. God has done that work. He's called you. And by the way, when you are called by God, you know what that guarantees? Everything's going to work together for good. It's his guarantee. Everything is going to work out. That's his promise to you. His purpose is always good. So it's going to work out. No God isn't finished with you. Understand God is working everything together for you. And then lastly, trust God is in complete control. And now we dive into the wonderful wisdom literature of the Old Testament. One of the best known beloved verses and passages in all the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. Listen to these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. So the first thing we see in this passage is trust him. Trust him. Believe his promises. Trust him. Believe he loves you. Trust him. Believe he knows what is best for you. Trust him. Believe he is in complete control. Trust him. Believe he is working all things together for good. Trust him. And believe even when life is difficult, believe especially when life is difficult. And it says here, trust in the Lord. All you have to do is consider his wisdom. He knows all. He's all-knowing. You can trust in him. Consider his character. He is holy, holy, holy. He does not lie. He does, never leads us astray. Trust him. Trust his power. He's the one that spoke this world into existence out of nothing. Trust his track record. He's never made a mistake with you, child of God. And he's not about to. Now, you and I, we've made plenty of mistakes in our lives. Oftentimes, why? Because we didn't trust him. Most of the mistakes we make are because we knew better than God. And we decided to not do it God's way. Decided to do it our way. So consider. Consider who he is and trust him, his wisdom, his character, his power, his track. Consider his love. We learned last week, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Trust him. And he says here, trust him with all your heart. Don't hold any portion of your heart back from your God. Take that full leap of faith into the arms of your father and trust him. I loved when my little kids, or when my five kids were small, and, and it was so much fun. We, had this, we have a stairwell in, in, our, in our, you know, you walk in the front door and the stairs are there, and there's this little landing. 
you know, about that high. And, and as a dad with young kids, I'd stand in front and I'd say, woohoo, let's go jump. And they jump and I go, ah, no, I would not do that. Every single time one of my kids jumped in my arms, what did I do? I caught him and we spun around and I put him down. Next, they jump in my arms and I catch him. I never ever dropped one of my children. My back may have been sore really bad the next day, but I never dropped one of my kids, ever. Your heavenly father has never dropped you. He's never going to drop you. You know what hurt me as a dad? When one of my kids wouldn't jump to me. What are you doing? I've never jumped. Come on, I've never dropped you. Would you just jump? Trust me on this. You know what their problem was? Their own understanding. Somehow they were calculating, well, if I go at this speed and I go at this velocity and this height and whatever. See, some of you are too smart for God. You just keep leaning on your own understanding. And he's saying, what are you doing? I've never dropped you. None of my promises have ever failed you. Why are you not trusting me? Stop leaning, stop calculating, stop trying to figure it out all on your own and start trusting in me. And that's why he says, do not rely on your own understanding. Your own understanding is like a broken crutch. You are going to fall every single time. And so renounce any and all arrogant self-confidence in our own understanding. And please do not trust your heart And do not trust your feeling. And please don't listen to anybody if they tell you, oh, just trust your heart. Or just trust your feeling. And please don't ever tell somebody, just trust your feelings or just trust your heart. That is the absolute worst advice you could give somebody and the worst advice you could take from somebody. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So listen, well, I feel this way and I feel that way. I don't care how you feel. What's God have to say about it? You've got to know what God has to say. You've got to know what his word has to say. Trust in his word, not your feelings and not your heart. And so look to God and not self. I love how Bruce Walkie put it. One is a fool to rely on his thimble of knowledge or on his own understanding, which is often governed by irrational urges that cannot control. He cannot control. So we have this tiny little thimble full of knowledge, okay, compared to God's vast ocean and wealth of wisdom and knowledge and experience and understanding through all the ages and eternity. And I'm going to trust in my little understanding? That would be the most foolish thing I could ever do. Isaiah 55. God says, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as, high as, the, as, as, or for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, shoot high, don't stay low. Look to God, not to yourself. So trust him. And not only trust him, know him. That's the next thing, verse six. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. And he says all your ways, no exception. No exception in my life or your life. We should withhold no area of our lives. And know him is the literal translation. Know him. What does that mean? I just been fascinated by that. And I've been praying about it and studying it and meditating on it. 
What does it mean to know you, Lord, in all of my ways, to know you? It means to consider him first and foremost in everything. It means to look to him in everything. It means to ask for his wisdom and guidance in everything. It means to seek his presence in everything. It means to submit to him, his will and his word in everything. It means to trust him and his sovereignty and his control in everything. It means to recognize him, his rights, his authority over all and everything that I do. So know him in everything. That means, Lord, I need to know you. I need to know you in my hobbies. I need to know you in my running and delight in you in my running. I need to know you Sunday at church, but also Monday morning at work. I need to know you. You need to know God in your work tomorrow. Don't just relegate him to Sundays. You need to know God. We need to know him in our finances. We need to know him in our parenting. We need to know God in our marriages. Invite God into our marriages. We need to know God in our social media posts. We need to know God in our Netflix and our entertainment choices. We need to know God with our smartphones. Know him in every area of our life and don't keep a single area out of God out of our lives. In other words, don't lock God out of any room in your house. Because some of you have a cold, dark closet that you don't want God in. Because you have a little pet sin that you like to play around with. And God is saying, you don't know me. You need to know me in every area of of your life. You need to invite me into the closet. You need to invite me into the kitchen. You need to know him in your bedroom. You need to know him in your family room. You need to know him in your living room. You need to know him in your basement and in your attic. You need to know him in your garage. You need to know him in the front yard. And you need to know him in your backyard. You need to know your God in everything. Invite him everywhere. And then he says, I'll make your path straight. You tired of the crookedness of this world? Tired of not knowing what you should be doing and weaving in and out? He's saying, start inviting me into every area of your life. And I will make your path straight. See, that's the reason why some of your work is going wonky. You don't know what you're doing because God is not at work. You need to know God at work. It's the reason why some of your marriages are struggling. Because you don't know God in marriage and you haven't invited him in. It's the reason why some of your finances are failing. Because you're leaning on your own understanding. Instead of knowing God in your finances. It's time to know God in all your ways. And, and he will make... In other words, you don't have to try to force anything anymore and you don't have to try to manipulate anything anymore. You can stop the crooked chaos that's happening in your life. So the question is, are you ready to do it God's way? Are you ready to live God's way? Invite him into every area of your life and he will make your paths straight. Give me the straight, Lord. Give me the smooth, Lord. It's Psalm 37.5. Commit your way, all your ways to the Lord. Just commit it to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So trust him and know him and then fear him. Yes, fear him. Verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
See, again, verse 5, similar to verse 5, verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't be a, don't be a know-it-all with God, okay? Do it God's way, not your way, and not Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. Don't do it that way. And he says, fear the Lord and turn away. Yes, fear. Because there is ultimate accountability with your God. Yes, fear him. Because consequences are real. Fear him. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. There's a lot of people in this world that are deceived. Listen, God's not mocked. You're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling him especially. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Numbers 32. Be sure your sin, oh, it will find you out. It will catch up with you. It's just a matter of time. And by the way, the timing is never a good time when it catches up with you. So turn from evil. In other words, take that first exit off every and any sinful temptation and, des and destination. Take that first exit off that sinful temptation, that sinful destination, and focus on living right and doing right. And look at the result. The result, verse 8. This will be healing to your body and strengthening for your bones. Do you know what that means? Physical and mental, if I just do what's right in the eyes of God, if I just follow his word, physical and mental refreshment and encouragement and strengthening and nourishment in this life. See, God isn't out to get you. His commandments are not burdensome. This is to bless you. Follow God. Trust in him. Know him. Fear him. And he says, this is what you have coming. It's a thing of beauty is what it is. So it's all going to work out. No, God isn't finished with you. Understand God is working everything together for good. And trust, God is in complete control. Let's pray together. Just bow your heads at home. Bow your heads here. Close your eyes. Would you just thank God that he is in complete control? Just give him thanks right now. Would you thank him that he's still working in you and on you and for you? Thank God he's never given up on you, even if others have. Would you just give thanks to God right now? Would you invite him in to that closet? Would you know him in every area? Would you invite him into that relationship? Your place of work. Every area, do that right now. Your hobbies. If there is sin to confess to God, do that right now and ask for his forgiveness. He loves you. He's gracious. He's merciful. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and this is all new. And you don't really have a relationship with God. And you thought it was all about just being religious or just going to a church service. No. It's about God who is real and died for your sins and wants to save you. And he'll do that right now. In the quietness of your heart, would you just call out to the Lord right now? Just use words like these, Lord, I need you. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of the shame. 
Lord, would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me of my sin? And would you please save me from my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Lord, I can't save myself. I am not going to lean on my own understanding. Would you please save me? I place my faith in you alone. I trust in you alone to save me. And I pray this in the name of the only one who can save me, Jesus. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.